Good morning. Let me grab this guy here. I found this gym backstage. Like, huh? Right? Right? It's got some stickers. I don't know. It's something that didn't come off of it here. Um, it's a little wobbly. It says something about a chaplain on there somewhere. I thought I saw something about the Department of Corrections at one point. Uh, but it's still standing, right? It's a little wobbly, but it's still standing. How many of you know it is a testimony just to be able to say, I'm still standing, right? If we compare our testimonies to that of the Bible, they almost seem insignificant when you realize that some of them were crucified upside down, some were sawn asunder. And so when you look at your life, it almost seems downright embarrassing until you realize there have been legions and legions and legions of demons sent to assassinate me. And it is a testimony to say, I am still standing. Amen. What does Paul say? Having done all to stand, stand. He ain't talking about gaining ground or building churches all the time. Sometimes the warfare is going to be so intense, it's going to take all you can do just to stand and hold yourself up on a wobbly podium. But praise God that they still build wobbly podiums. And I know somebody that can tighten this thing up if need be. Amen. Right? Build them a new one. Right? We're going to be um, looking at the book of Luke today. I'm excited to share this word with you guys. We're going to study together. And we're going to grow. And we're going to be challenged. Amen. So if you would stand with me and we'll get right into this. All right. You ready? All right. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word with your people. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to an encounter with you. The Holy Spirit, you would anoint me to speak your words, that you would challenge and encourage, that you would stretch and grow us, help us to learn, help us to unlearn things. All for the glory of Jesus, that his name would be lifted high in the service today. God, we honor you with our time, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. So today, um, we're looking at this passage out of Luke, where Jesus has foretold of his death. How many of you know that foreknowledge is not always a good thing? Foreknowledge can be a, a great thing or it can be a terrible thing. John refers to Jesus as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. There was a foreknowledge that this was going to come to pass. But foreknowledge, for me, is not always a great thing, right? Uh, it can be good or it can be bad, positive or negative. Disney World or a court date, right? <laughs> Who am I kidding? Disney nowadays is just as bad as a court date for an adult. 
I mean, think about it. It's like $10,000. You have to have an itinerary. You have to hire one of your friends to schedule everything out. You have crowded lines. If you don't get a fast pass, I mean, you got to go somewhere more reasonable that you can look forward to, like Holiday World. Free soft drinks, free sunscreen. They got a water park attached to it, right? So you ain't got to burn up all day. And you can pretty much plan your day around that. So that's more encouraging, positive to look to. And then there's the negative things like a court date. I wouldn't know anything about having to dread over a court date, but I know about being excited about holiday world. But if you've ever had to dread about a court date, I can only imagine what your pain might be like, the stress that you might go through wondering what is going to happen at said court date, right? I often stress myself out if I know there's a hard conversation I'm going to have to have. I will play scenarios out 10 different ways in my head before a conversation even happens. And oftentimes, they either end with us being good friends and going to Holiday World together or something happening and me ending up with a court date. (laughs) One of two. But, But I play these things out in my head because I know that this hard conversation is coming up. Right? So I can only imagine what it must have been like for Jesus knowing he's going to have to die. Right? But this is not the first time that he has told his disciples or us in the book of Luke that he's going to die. So I want to take a moment and let's look at all three of the times that Jesus has uh, predicted his death. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter... Nine. I don't hear no rice paper. Nothing. Oh, there it is, my man in the back right here. If you have your electronic version, make sure that you close out all other applications before logging on to your Bible app. All other applications. I just don't want no notifications to come up and be tempted. You know, the enemy likes to tempt to distract you, right? But if, if Jesus said that he, he predicted his death and they didn't understand what he was saying. So that begs the question, why? What is he trying to say to them? And what is he trying to say to me for that matter? So in Luke chapter 9, verse 21 and 22, this is what Jesus says. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So the first prediction, he says, I'm going to be rejected by the religious leaders because of who I am. Second prediction can also be found in Luke chapter 9. Just a few verses down. You don't even have to flip a page. Just go down to verse 43 through 45. It says, And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So the second time he predicts his death, he says, simply into the hands of men. The third prediction is where we started Luke 18, 31 through 33. And again, Jesus says, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. 
For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So this third time it says he will be handed over to the Gentiles, mocked by them, insulted, spat upon, flogged, and killed. So through these predictions in the book of Luke, Jesus has painted the entire picture of exactly what is going to happen. I will be handed over to the religious people. The same people that go to church with us, that say they love the same God that we worship, are going to be the ones that are going to hand me over into the hands of men who will ultimately hand me over to the Gentiles to be tortured and killed. Why? What is the big idea? So that everything written by the prophets will be accomplished. Jesus told his disciples exactly what was going to happen so that he could fulfill the scriptures. But simply knowing the mission does not help me accomplish it. Just because I know how to do a job or know the job that needs to be done does not help me get said job done. Right? And here's when I come across this. Here's what I have the tendency to think. But that was Jesus. Jesus was perfect. What hope do I have? Right? He was the Son of God. Let me tell you this. Jesus' resolve did not derive from his divinity. Meaning, he chose to be obedient. He wasn't obedient because he was the perfect son of God. What hope would I have if he did? I can't follow in your footsteps, Jesus. You're perfect. So I'm not even going to try. None of the miracles he performed were out of his divinity. It was all out of obedience and submission to the Father. And he allowed the Father and the Holy Spirit to flow through him. The same opportunity is given to me to be obedient and to choose. The power, the power that Jesus had came from his choice. That levels the playing field. You mean to tell me that the same power that was available to the holy, perfect Son of God is available to Justin Wobbly Bashirs? What? Yes. Yes. Straight up. Right? How cool is that? Or how terrifying is that? It's absolutely earth-shattering. Because the ball's in your court now, son. The Word says when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face towards Jerusalem. This is my favorite part of today. Show of hands, men and women, how many of you guys have had or are still thinking about getting a perm? Yeah, you did? I'd love, I'm going to go back, post those photos online. F-stop, F-stop, we're going to F-stop Joel's uh, perm photos today. Right? The process that, that they do when, they, when you get a perm is called setting the hair. So no matter how far you pull that curl out, 
It's going to snap back to where it was set. Bad example. Horrible. But you, got, you get what I'm saying, right? Better example would be when you, get, when you get a new car, newer car, or you get in a car, right? <laughs> You've ever been in a vehicle, right? One of those. And you, um, you turn your jams on, or you, you, can, you can set the radio station to what you want. Most, most of us in here are probably going to listen to 88.7 or 94FM, The Fish, right? Because this is Christian radio, you know. Um, probably no, talk, no 99.7 or 101.1 to beat jams. Uh, no 92Q, right? Unless it's after 7 on a Sunday evening and you want to, you know, Right? Sports radio is okay, right? It's okay. Because sometimes they put the Vols games on there or Titans games, right? I'm just saying from when church lets out at 12 and the kickoff is at 12 and you've got to get from the church to the TV, you need 104.5 to be a preset (laughs) because the church is priority, right? But you still love the Titans, But no matter where you go on that dial, you can always push that button and it goes right back to where it was set. That's why the word tells us in the Colossians to set your affection on things that are above, not on things that are below. So no matter what comes your way, your mind is spring loaded towards things that are in the heavenlies. So no matter what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday looks like, my mind is set on things that are above. I firmly, and this is just a, um, a theory of mine, but my close friends know that I, I hold this as truth in my life because when we get there, I'll be like, told y'all, right? Um, I believe that David killed Goliath on a Tuesday. I really believe that because um, the way the story plays out, his dad says, go take your brothers some cheese because they're in a battle. And everybody knows when you're in a war, what you're really dying for is a care package with cheese. <laughs> Gotta have some cheese. I wish daddy would send David to bring us some cheese sticks. You know what I mean? I would love some string cheese right now. Some baby bells. Just snap that little red top off. Have me some baby bells. Um, I, would be, I would feel like taking down a giant if I had some baby bells. Um, but no, David, and the reason I said, because there was a normal day. David was just, do, he was being obedient to what his dad asked him. His dad didn't ask him to do anything special. Are you hearing me? His father didn't ask him to do anything special. Just this menial task. Just be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. And along the way, he found himself confronted with a giant. He had no idea he was going to slay Goliath that day. And when he walked on the battlefield, he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares defy the armies of the living God? Who is this pump? Right? I don't need that armor. I got this. Get off of me. It was a Tuesday. And when we all get there, you're going to be like, Justin said that it was a Tuesday. Where's he at? Where's he at? There's so many millions of people, you ain't going to know where I'm at, right? The point I'm trying to make is, the point I'm trying to make is, when your mind, when your mind is set on things that are above right? Then you're not concerned with the things that fall under that because there is a choice that precedes all other choices. Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem, so all of the other choices fell under that one choice. 
I am going to die for the sins of the world, for all of humanity. So every other decision I have to make from here on out falls under that decision. I'm going to join you. I want to read something to you by John Piper and from Desiring God. And he wrote this about Jesus' resolution to die. It says, to set his face towards Jerusalem meant something very different for Jesus than it did for the disciples. You see, the visions of great, greatness that danced in their heads in verse 46, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Jerusalem and glory were just around the corner. Oh, what it would mean when Jesus took the throne. But Jesus had another vision in his head. One wonders how he carried it all alone and so long. Here's what Jerusalem meant for Jesus. I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Luke 13, 33. Jerusalem meant one thing for Jesus, certain death. Nor was he under any illusions of a quick and heroic death. He predicted in Luke 18, 31, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written of the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. When Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, he set his face to die. Remember when you think of Jesus' resolution to die that he had a nature like ours. He shrunk back from pain like we do. He would have enjoyed marriage and children and grandchildren and a long life and esteem in the community. He had a mother and brothers and sisters. He had a special place in the mountains. To turn his back on all this and set his face towards vicious whipping and beating and spitting and mocking and crucifixion was not easy. It's hard. Oh, how we need to use our imagination to put ourselves back into his place and feel what he felt. I don't know of any other way for us to begin to know how much he loved us. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, John 15, 13. If we were to look at Jesus' death merely as a result of a betrayer's deceit and a Sanhedrin's envy, and Pilate's spinelessness, and a soldier's nails and spear, it might seem very involuntary. And the benefit of salvation that comes to us who believe from this death might be viewed as God's way of making a virtue out of a necessity. But once you read Luke 9.51, all such thoughts vanish. Jesus was not accidentally entangled in a web of injustice. The saving benefits of his death for sinners were not an afterthought. God planned it all out of infinite love to sinners like us and at appointed a time. Jesus, who was the very embodiment of his father's love for sinners, saw that the time had come and set his face to fulfill his mission, to die in Jerusalem for our sake. No one takes my life from me, he said, but I lay it down of my own accord. John 10, 18. Jesus had already made the choice that precedes all other choices. 
It was the same with the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar made a statue and he said, you got to bow. They said, we're not going to bow. He said, I'll throw you in the furnace. They said, throw us in the furnace and God can save us. But even if he does not, we still won't bow because we have made a choice that precedes all other choices. When Job's friend said, what have you done? You must have sinned because God is punishing you for it. And he said, though he slay me, I still will trust in him. Even if I did do wrong, I have made a choice that precedes all other choices. Jesus chose to be obedient. As the plan was revealed to him, And as he was obedient, God gave him strength to keep going and keep going and keep going. Just because he had a resolve to set his face towards Jerusalem doesn't mean he automatically had the strength to walk it out. But because he had that resolve, every choice fell up under that one decision. And so I'm confronted with two choices. Lord and Savior. The Bible, the New Testament specifically, refers to Jesus as Savior 26 times. I have a choice to make. Will I allow this Jesus, who was so resolved to go to the cross, will I, will I surrender to Him? Will I receive the rain? Will I receive this sacrifice? We are human beings, not human doings. And so much of my life is spent trying to earn my way back to a God who has already paid it all for me. All I have to do is receive this sacrifice. You don't have to do anything, son. We're trying to work so hard. We're doing a Bible study about resting. Praise God. And in this Bible study, the the very first chapter, my mind was blown. The lady talks about how the first six days of creation, God worked. And on the seventh day, he rested. But man's first full day on the planet was spent in rest with God. We didn't do a thing. He said, I'm not asking you to do nothing. I'm not asking you to do nothing, but receive it. Once I receive him as my savior, I have the choice to make him Lord. I said the the New Testament refers to Jesus as savior 26 times, but it refers to him as Lord 747 times. Think that's significant? 700 times. Lordship is deserved. He is the lamb who was slain, took my place. It is also demanded. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I am not going to wait until I am forced to bow. I will choose this day for me and my household who we will serve. So I am going to make the decision that all other decisions will fall under. So when I don't feel like forgiving, Jesus is Lord. When I don't feel like, do, do, I, do I let this person get away with that? Jesus is Lord. How do I feel about this, this health situation? Jesus is Lord. I have already made that decision in my life. Therefore, every other decision falls up under that. And we are confronted with that decision today. What are we going to do? But we set our face towards Jesus the same way he set his face towards Jerusalem. 
Will we receive the rain? Will we receive this Savior and crown him as Lord of our lives? Because when we do, he'll provide the strength, the same strength he gave Jesus he needed when he needed it.